Hello, it's good to be with you. Today we are holding two ideas together that may not at first seem like they go together. We're uh, entering into Thanksgiving uh, season. I said thanks, happy Thanksgiving to somebody today, and they said, hey, we're eating today. So they're spreading their eating out over the course of the week, which is a pro move, I think. Uh, some of us will hit that, you know, we've have had conversations with people like Wednesday, Thursday, there's going to be a lot of family, a lot of food, and the expectation is that we just sort of put all that together and everybody takes a deep breath and like, ah. Oh. If all is right with the world. And of course, not a single one of our families meets that expectation. <laughs> it, it, it is sort of the mismatch of Thanksgiving or the holiday season. Uh, not that it's all bad, not that it's all good. It's just always somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Can I get an amen to that? And some of you said that louder because your family's not here. But the, uh, the, there is sort of this middle space that we live in. And so there might seem to be a disconnect between the expectation of Thanksgiving and the turkey and the, you know, the rosy situation and the, the story that we're going to tell today as we walk the places where Jesus walked, because it is a story that is very intense. Uh, today we come to Jerusalem, uh, one of the, the, the places where Jesus walked and one of the places where some of the major events of the story of Jesus happened. The, where the story that I'm about to read is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an intense story. And so how do those two ideas come together? I want to kind of hit that at the beginning and help us make the connection along the way because Martha uh, and the, the, our leaders have already helped us get there. What a friend we have in Jesus who walked into those spaces, who walked into family dynamics and walked into relational dynamics and walked into geopolitical tensions and everything in between. And he walked into that space and held it for us. Because I think most of us would like to have a savior who walks into it and solves all of it. And what we experience is that it's not all solved. Uh, and um, I'll get to that in a, in a second. And the good news of that is that it's okay. That in fact, uh, when it is not all solved, we find a, a God who is, who is entering into our world with something that we don't expect. Uh, so, yeah, somebody sent me uh, a thing this week. Uh, it's like it's inappropriate to show in the sermon, but it's an uh, SNL skit of Leslie B. Jordan going to, with you to Thanksgiving dinner. And she basically tells off everybody who says something out of line or makes a political statement or whatever. I, I'm not, as your pastor is saying, you should go look at that. But, I mean, you, you, get, you get it. And I've had tons of conversations over the last month of people who are expressing that in-between space around Thanksgiving. So I just have a pastoral sensitivity to that. And I hope that the, this story, oddly enough, will help you make some connections into those dynamics that become more real during the holidays. So this is from Luke chapter 22. It is um, Jesus in Jerusalem, which is where we'll be today, where Jesus walked. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, uh, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation or fail in the time of trial is another way of saying that. So we know it's just this ominous thing that's about to happen. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. 
Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. There it is again. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, none of more of this, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. And seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. These events and many, many others take place in Jerusalem. It is a city in central Israel. It is on a a, a plateau, a sort of high plateau, surrounded by two valleys. And those valleys historically were uh, deeper than they are now. They've been filled in some, the central valley and the Kidron Valley. And you'll see that uh, Kidron Valley here in a second. Jerusalem probably means secure foundation. And immediately, even in the name, we sort of start to get the tensions of uh, of life. And somehow, over the years, uh, Jerusalem has sort of become sort of a, a center of the world. And as you know, center of a lot of the dynamics of the world. It first appears in the Bible in Genesis 14, with this, in the story of Abraham. He meets the high priest or king Melchizedek there. And, um, and that name will show up. We're studying Hebrews uh, in our disciple Bible study, and it will not show that name, Melchizedek. It uh, doesn't show up again in, basically till, till the book of Hebrews. But it is uh, King David who makes Jerusalem central to the story. He captures it and, um, and makes it the capital of, of ancient Israel. And that, that worked because it wasn't anybody's tribal land of the 12 tribes that settled in the, the area uh, when they came into the promised land. It was nobody's home turf. And so it was a place that brought the people together. He took the Ark of the Covenant there and built his palace there. And from that point on, it has become central to the story. It is one of the oldest cities in the world. And so a lot of history has played out. This is one of the things that's hard for us to, to relate to because we don't know a lot of our history going back this far. But um, Israel uh, uh, is, has one of the, the pieces of that story. But Jerusalem is considered a holy place by, uh, by um, the Jews and by Christians and Muslims together. And their stories interlap, overlap in that. Uh, Israel and Palestine consider it their capital. Capital has been besieged 23 times. It has been captured 44 times and attacked 52 times in history. Most recently, control of Jerusalem uh, was divided until 1967 in the Six-Day War in which it came under the control of Israel in its entirety. The current city has the old city, which has um, old city walls, though those walls aren't necessarily exactly where they were. Uh, they've moved around a bit, and the gates have moved around some. Um, but uh, the wall, current walls have, uh, were built in the 1500s when um, Jerusalem was under the Ottoman Empire. And uh, so the old city is inside that, includes many of the holy sites, including the Temple Mount, where the temple was. Uh, and then uh, it spreads out into a modern city, and just under a million people live in Jerusalem today. 
Jerusalem is a setting of many of the stories of Jesus in the Bible. We first read about Jesus going there as a child for one of the three festivals that uh, were pilgrimage festivals in Israel. So you have this sort of going and coming to Jerusalem as part of their rhythm of of life, Passover and Pentecost, and then the festival of booths. And that festival had just, was just finishing actually the, where they set up tabernacles or little tents in their backyard and eat outside and uh, have Thanksgiving essentially. Um, And um, that was finishing just as we were um, getting to uh, to Israel. But Jesus went there uh, from a childhood on. And um, that dynamic is actually important because there is a lot of time spent traveling. And so part of the dynamic of Jerusalem is that, the time spent with family or with friends in the travel time. So Nazareth, where Jesus is from, is about 90 miles from Jerusalem. So essentially... Um, I looked up where my son Luke lives in Louisville, and it's 93 miles from here. So um, imagine, you probably haven't done this in a while, walking to Louisville. Uh, and um, if you did that, you know, without stopping, it would take you 30 hours, and that would probably only be on some kind of bet or dare or something like that. Most likely, uh, you're not walking there. Uh, but if you did, and if you walked through rugged terrain, as you would from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it would take you a while. Four days, maybe three, if you were running some five if you had a lot of baggage and things to carry with you. So there was time going back and forth. Uh, Jerusalem was sort of the place that you went to and then left, and and there was a rhythm uh, to to that. Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, a lot of the ministry of Jesus happened there. In that dynamic, and in, in that dynamic over Passover, it is the place of the passion of Jesus. So we traveled to Jerusalem on October 9th from the Galilee area, our our crew did, 23 of us. And um, this was two days after the Israel-Hamas war had broken out. And we had a lot of deliberation about when to go. It was on our itinerary to go that day, but we didn't know quite what to do. And so out of a lot of conversation from the head of the travel company that we were with to our guide and her network of guide friends to the guidance from the U.S. Embassy and three meetings with our particular group, we decided to go to Jerusalem, uh, and it didn't take us, we, we didn't walk, we roughly the same, same distance, but we were on, on a bus, and we stopped in Nazareth and saw where uh, Jesus was raised, and we, um, we stopped in um, Cana, where the first miracle of Jesus was, and then we went to Jerusalem. And um, on our way in, um, I got a text from somebody in the room, and they said, oh, there's some news reports, and I looked, and um, there had been some rocket fire into central Israel, which is where we were. And so we were a little get, getting a little anxious, and I leaned over to the guy and said, can you help us uh, kind of understand this? And she talked to a few people, then, then got on the microphone, and she said... Uh, there have been some rockets, too, that have fallen in central Israel, but it, but it is not a problem, which is one of the things you hear a lot. It's not a problem uh, because uh, it, it, those fell in uh, an open place away from Jerusalem. And I looked out both sides of our bus window and saw an open place away from Jerusalem. So that, that was when, kind of one of the places we felt some tension. And then I mentioned uh, before that our group went to Jerusalem. We decided, we ate lunch, decided we could go look at a few places. And then we came back, and as we were coming back, getting off the bus, the air raid sirens went off, and we went into a bomb shelter for about 10 minutes before that, that episode passed. So we were supposed to be in Jerusalem for three days, and it was time to leave, uh, clearly. Uh, so we were there about 18 hours. And we did see some things. So there were going to be two sermons about Jerusalem in this series. Now there's 
just one and it's very focused. You're gonna to get to see some things that actually I think um, help us understand the story as we were living it and the story that continues to, be, to play out. Back to that idea that we're sort of in this sort of middle space. Jerusalem is that. It is a place of tensions and paradox a place of a story of salvation and then a place also of conflict even to this day. And that is one of the places where Jesus walks symbolically into that space, into that place where it's almost like you just can't get away from it. It's just always present and we wonder why it won't get resolved. Jerusalem is like that. And this story is like that. Let me tell you another story. So um, I travel, I need to stop traveling apparently because I traveled to Columbus, Ohio. Anybody been from Columbus, by the way, we've got a few people. Um, not known as a place of great tension and conflict, I don't, I don't think. Sort of an innocuous place. My, my son Luke um, swims for the University of Louisville, and they had a big meet in Columbus, Ohio this week. So Thursday, I got up and, uh, and drove up there and watched him swim Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday. And uh, I was going to be there all day Friday, and the meets are in the morning and the evening, and I had some work to do. So I thought, what better place to do that work than the library? I wonder if OSU Library is close to the pool. And it is. It's very close. Worked out perfect. So I watched swimming in the morning, went to the, to the library, was trying to get some work done, and I started to hear some shouting. Now, typically, when people are allowed in a library that gets nipped in the bud pretty quick, right? But this did not, and it, it was like sort of odd, and it kind of would get louder, and then it would get quieter. So after about an hour of not uh, really being able to get my work done, I, um, I went to the lobby of the library, and it's this big four-story uh, sort of entryway, and there was a Palestinian protest happening in the library at Ohio State University. You know, as we're seeing this, Come, you know, happening on college campuses. And, um, and I wasn't really nervous about it, but it sort of it, it started triggering some, some, some PTSD, honestly, a little bit, just mildly, of my, our trip to Israel. And I decided, uh, as when they started chanting things and um, it started getting louder, that it was time to leave. And so I found myself, again, having to kind of get out of a situation. And I called Jenny, and I'm like, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, of all the places to be in the entire world, to kind of get caught up in it again. And I, I kind of want to tell you, in a sense, I, I, it, I got emotional in that experience. I want to be a little bit authentic with you all because um, I like the story that ends, well, we're okay, everything's fine, we got home safe. But as we know, these dynamics have not all played out. And we live in a world where it doesn't just go on and get solved. And so I guess, in a sense, that's what that, that encounter reminded me of, that I like to just push through and say, everything's fine. But that's not the story that we're telling. And the story that we tell of Jesus is the, is the same, and we're going to see that. Uh, a Palestinian protest in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, as continuing, continuing part of the story. And then the other thing that uh, we'll talk about is um, that while we were in that couple hours of sightseeing uh, in, in Jerusalem, two of our people got pickpocketed. So you had the war going on, and then we have very personal conflict there at the Garden of Gethsemane, right, where we, this, where we read today. Uh, I think we can all say you can't make this stuff up. 
But we often say that about our lives, don't we? So let me show you some things uh, about Jerusalem. Okay, so the first thing you'll see here is uh, the, the wall and uh, one of the gates. This is Herod's gate. This is, it's called that because we think this is where Jesus was led when he, after he was arrested to Herod uh, when, uh, when he was being tried. And, um, and so it's called that, though um, it is um, now actually, if you go in the gate, it is a place where there's a local market. So it's not very touristy. It's where the locals go to buy food. So, you know, sort of like the dynamics of this is a place where people live. And there you see also the city wall. So the wall goes around the old city of Jerusalem, and it's about two and a half miles around it, it all connected. And there are several gates, and um, it is about 39 feet high average. So some places, it is, places it's much taller than that. Some places it is shorter and it's about eight feet uh, deep, wide, uh, thick. So you see those, and I, I mentioned those were built in the 1500s. Uh, this next picture is of another gate. This is maybe one of the more famous gates in the, in the wall on the eastern side, on the eastern wall, and it is called the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. We think this is where Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, where he uh, entered into his passion. It is where Jews think the Messiah will enter uh, when, when the Messiah comes. And when Jerusalem was under Islamic rule, um, it was that, that gate was closed. It was boarded up or stoned uh, up uh, as part of the tensions of those dynamics. You just can't get very far from that in Jerusalem. And so it is also thought to be the place uh, by Muslims where uh, the events of the last day will happen. So you may be able to tell, uh, you see those little boxy looking things up there next to the gate. Can you tell what that is? It's a cemetery. So where better to be for the events of the last day than right there? You're going to be the first to experience that. And so you see this, the, the coming down from the, the wall um, there, this is the Kidron Valley, and um, the next picture will show kind of coming up the other side, and that is an, a whole cemetery along the, the whole side of the, the valley facing the eastern gate. Uh, so if you're looking up to the right, that's back toward the temple area which I'll, and, and the gate, which I just showed you, and then if you go the, up the left, this is uh, the Mount of Olives. Uh, the next picture uh, shows that eastern gate, but from uh, the base of the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is. So that's through the garden. Uh, and uh, coming back up from behind me in the picture of the Mount of Olives, it raises about 200 feet. So it's called the Mount of Olives, but where I'm from, I'm, that's called a knob, right? Not a, not a, not a mountain, but, a, but a, a steep hill. And you begin to see olive trees. And so there are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, the next picture will show some of those. Uh, this is where Jesus came to pray before he was arrested, as we just read. And some of those olive trees were around in the time of Jesus. Some of maybe one in the time of even King David. So uh, they are sometimes called the silent witnesses to the passion of Jesus. But it is one of the places where you feel like... The, Things may have shifted around in history, and there are a lot of, may be a lot of dynamics in this place, but this is exactly where this happened. And uh, I think there's maybe another picture of you know these ancient trees, uh, which do live for a very, very, very long time throughout the the, the region. And uh, and then it says, uh, as we heard in scripture, that Jesus went about a stone's throw away. And so there's a rock there that is the traditional spot where Jesus went 
to pray with such intensity that he sweat like drops of blood. And this, this is where that happened. So um, the, the next picture shows you the church that is built over that. Uh, it's called the Basilica of the Agony or uh, the Church of All Nations because there are representations of all the nations of the world uh, within there. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that what, while we were out and it was sort of raining lightly and we were wondering about how safe we were and kind of just kind of a little more rushed to get a few things done, uh, our guide normally would have said, this is a really big spot for pickpocketing. And she just failed to mention that. It was like a, a good example of how maybe we were worried about the big stuff, but we need to kind of also not lose sight of some of the smaller stuff too. And so um, two of our people got pickpocketed. Um, one of them was a gentleman from our church and one was my mom. And I watched it happen. I, it looked like an aggressive vendor and he came up with this thing and was shoving it in her face. And I was probably about 50 yards away. And one of the mistakes we met, made was that we had a gap in our line and I was trying to watch, but I wasn't close enough. Uh, but I knew something was wrong. I just didn't realize what had happened. I watched it happen, basically, and the guy was good. Uh, and so we didn't know uh, that it happened. And uh, to the, the Garden of Gethsemane is here to the left. And we were about to this spot over here uh, under the, the, uh, the roof there by the, 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 the steps of the church. And somebody found a wallet. Well, what had happened was the pickpocket had taken the two wallets, taken the cash out, and then threw them into the path in front of us where we would find them. Sort of a noble thing to do. Uh, somebody said, oh, this person's from Indiana. And it was my mom. Uh, she, the, all her credit cards were there. Her identification, everything left. Uh, her passport had been someplace else. But uh, I mean, the cynical side of me says if like, if they've used our uh, credit cards, they get caught, right? Or if they messed with people's travel and messed up tourism, then they would get cracked down on. So they did just as much as they could. They took the cash. She had $65 in her wallet. Um, I've talked about my mom a, a bit. My mom is a, a cycle breaker. She is a very strong personality um, and, and is really, in a lot of ways, responsible for breaking cycles of generational poverty in our family history. My mom was instantly ticked, is, is the best word, <laughs> Ang angry. Uh, and so one of the funny now parts of the story is standing right where those people are, uh, looking out on the, the, what, you know, the Temple Mount, where all these events happened, right next to the Garden of Gethsemane, my mom expressed her anger <laughs> in words that I cannot express to you right here. <laughs> part of the story, I guess. So um, as we go into the church, you're going to see first thing is the stained glass window and the, the, the stained glass is thick there and um, it is all purple glass. So the intent was to set a mood. All of the light coming into the place uh, is filtered through uh, the, as purple light and it, sets, it does set a mood in, uh, inside the church. And um, we do this on some uh, special days during Lent as well, and we'll use purple light to create that same effect in our sanctuary. And so there is sort of a somber mood inside the church. If you look up, and the next picture shows that all of the art, which is incredible, is done in a midnight blue and gold. So you see there uh, what looks like you're looking up through the olive trees, and you see the stars, 
And then those four medallions are some of those representations of the nations of the world being brought into, into the story. And then, as I mentioned, the church is built over the rock, uh, where we, you know, maybe is a stone's throw away, the traditional spot where Jesus went and prayed with intensity and in his agony. And so there's a place for us to be able to do that, to pray there as well. And the church really did set a mood to feel like you were entering that story. And um, the, the events of the day, you know, paired with that for us and our particular group at that particular moment with the pickpocket and with the, the threat of violence, it was not hard to make these connections. That there is a God who entered into this story. As I mentioned, our disciple Bible study just finished the book of Hebrews, which says this about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way like we are, yet without sin. And so it is a way of understanding the story that you only get if you walk where, where Jesus walked. And I don't mean just in this particular place in Jerusalem, but into those places, those middle places, those unresolved places. And we wonder, why is it still like this? And we're saying that about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and we're saying that, that about dynamics in our own lives and every place in between. And yet, here is the story. We may have wanted a different story. We may, uh, we may rather things get all resolved, but this is the story we have a, a God who walked right into the middle of it. And um, one of the things that we said in Israel is that the whole story of Jesus saves us. It's, it's, it's true of the cross, where Jesus did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, but it is equally true here at this rock. Jesus doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves, entering into that unresolved place to redeem it, to bring hope, to experience it and engage it in the very place where we start to pull back, at the very point where we sort of come to our limits, we find Jesus going right in with such intensity that it is beyond anything we can comprehend. What a friend we have in Jesus because this is the kind of God that we have. And maybe we would like to get it all tied up in a bow and tell sort of the Disney story, but truthfully, I think this story, the one we have, is more profound because I think God knew that each one of us would have this same experience. It is a human reality to get into this unresolved place. And in the very place where we begin to give our, our hope, where we want to quit, we find Jesus leaning in and carrying us through. So there are some murals depicting that. There's one uh, there by the rock of Jesus praying on the rock, and you see the olive trees, and you see the disciples over here who are asleep when they should be praying, and then you see the angel who attended Jesus. The next one shows Judas coming to betray him with a kiss. And gosh, there's just such a, the mood changes in that one, isn't it? There's just almost action uh, that you can feel. And then the last one is John 18, 6, which says that when um, they came up, um, they asked, who are you looking for? And Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And John's gospel, he says, I am he. 
And in John's gospel, anytime he uses those words, I am, it is a statement of God's, his identity as the son of God or God's presence uh, in, in him, uh, the divine statement, I am, of, from the story of the burning bush, I am who I am, the name of God. So when he says, I am, then in John's gospel, everybody falls to the ground. There again, bringing into the story that's already intense, the very presence of God. I am he. Okay, so um, you go out the doors of this and you can go up the Mount of Olives. That's what we did next. And so this next picture is standing at the top of the Mount of Olives. It's actually a video showing you the scene. So this is where we end today. As you survey the area, you see in the foreground all of those graves that I mentioned earlier. And in the background, you see the larger city of Jerusalem going all the way around. And then as you come back, you see in the middle ground the Temple Mount, the, the city wall, and then the temple area that is built into it. So you see uh, this next picture shows you some of that. Uh, and still, you see cranes in the background. So growth, it looks a little bit like Nashville in, in that sense. Uh, and then the Temple Mount there in the middle. So uh, there was a temple there in the time of Jesus. It was the second temple. You may know this, but the first temple was built by who? King Solomon. So David secured Jerusalem as the capital, but he didn't build the temple. Solomon built the temple, and that temple stood for, uh, for a long time until the Babylonians came and destroyed it in 586 before Christ. And, um, and then uh, that first temple was then rebuilt and around... Um, the year 516, and then expanded right before the time of Jesus with Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the king that we read about in the Bethlehem story, the king that um, was coming after Jesus. And then Herod Antipas was his son. Uh, and so uh, they, they not only refurbished that second temple, but they expanded the Temple Mount area to about twice the size that it was. And that's the area that you see there. But then that temple was destroyed in 70 by the Romans, uh, and it has not been rebuilt. Uh, the, um, the, the Muslims uh, built that structure, the Dome of the Rock, in 691, and it is the oldest Muslim Islamic building uh, in the world. So again, you see the dynamics of a lot of people and a, a lot of history uh, there, even in this spot that is considered holy by so many but I'm equally interested about the place where I'm standing, looking over this. This is the Mount of Olives. It's the place where another thing happened in the life of Jesus, the ascension, when Jesus is standing before them and goes up to heaven. But right before that, he says something about this place, Jerusalem, doesn't he? He tells his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but stay here. And wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they did. And then uh, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You hear that tension of them wanting for this thing to get resolved. Just like we all do. Is, okay, well, we've waited. Is this the time? And Jesus says something to them that I think speaks to us. It's not for you to know the time. And we usually think of that as meaning sort of in the ultimate sense, but it really applies to every aspect of our lives in this middle space. It's really not for us to know the outcomes. 
or the timing or to get hung up on the fact that it is still lingering in this middle space. But it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, which we've been talking about, but then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that hope is captured in a symbol that is throughout Jerusalem. This final picture is of the Jerusalem cross. And it, and it catch, catches this dynamic and this hope. Uh, it is the large cross, which represents Jerusalem, but then the four smaller crosses, which represent the four corners of the world. A story of salvation that applies universally. One place, but literally every place. And the Spirit of God going into every place so that there will be witnesses of Jesus Christ and in this story, in every time, in every place. People for whom it doesn't always and easily get resolved, but who have this hope in the middle, middle space and the very presence of God working for good in the midst of it. When it gets resolved, we don't know. But that in no way lessens our engagement does it? Because this is a story of Jesus entering into that very middle space with the very presence of God. And so I hope that happens for you. I hope that is happening in you. I hope that is your witness to the world. You see God's work in those spaces. And I pray as you find yourself in them that you will discover a God who is carrying us through doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. So let's go to a time of offering and offer our week ahead ourselves. And as the ushers come, offer our gifts so that we might um, find ourselves a part of a story where faith and trust and hope continue to win out. A story in which God's presence goes with us into every place where we will walk, just as he did in the steps of Jesus a place where we can stand in our faith, undeterred. We can stand in those places and represent the very hope that we proclaim as we become witnesses or living reminders of Jesus. God, it is here that we stand in a story that's not yet resolved with all of its tensions but it is a story that you know so well, for we do not have a high priest who walked into that space and didn't know what to do, who doesn't understand, but one who can sympathize, identify with us in every way. We have one who came into that space and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so as we worship, we pray that we would renew our trust. That we wouldn't look just at the circumstances, but we'd look at the one who is with us in them. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.